god of hellfire, and I bring you another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss. Yes! such very soothing, quiet dinner music. We call them KISS. Part of the reason we're talking about KISS is because uh, every time Paul and I talk, he amazes me that he knows as many stupid, useless, and embarrassing facts about KISS as I do. Yeah, I, I was a huge KISS fanboy. The fun thing about KISS to me was that because they have such a weird, long history, there's a lot to get into and also it's almost like uh, Star Wars or something there's so many layers and so many iterations of the band and so many things they did that it's silly but it's it's just interesting to me it's not that I loved all the music yeah I can't I can't even say that I loved all the music and I can't even uh, point to one kiss record where you could say this record was awesome every song great from beginning to end because there was a lot of crap on kiss records yes except for I would say the live albums Alive 1 and Alive 2, I, I think are pretty oh, solid. Alive 1 was better. Alive 1 was definitely better. Yeah. Alive 2 uh, was pretty rocking. I didn't even mind the songs on the, the fourth side. Right. But I hate when bands do that. I, I mm-hmm. just think it should have been a live album. Yeah. What was cool was that each time um, they would follow the live album after three studio albums. Mm-hmm. And they didn't duplicate songs. Right. Which I thought was great. Alive 1 and Alive 2 to me kind of sound, uh, are, are two separate albums, but nice bookends to those periods right yeah uh, of the band and so yeah i think alive one is better because it's more it feels more raw and real yeah and it follows to me you know the earlier albums before they kind of slipped into self-parody when did when exactly did they slip into self-parody i mean <laughs> they, they're, they're kind of a parody uh, from the beginning yeah yeah but it, but i know what you're saying and the thing i think that makes alive one sound better they were big then but they weren't huge yet you know they, they were still a little bit hungry Stanley stuff is hilarious. Well, he well he's hilarious. I love that stuff. Do you believe in rock and roll? I guess I believe in rock and roll. I'm with I, you, Paul. Whatever that means. Yeah. I 
What was your first introduction to Kiss? Fourth grade. Really? Yeah. I was yeah. in fourth grade, and a friend of mine was really into Kiss. Uh, what was... They had, like, a greatest hits record. I'm trying to think of what the... It was a, a silver record. Double platinum. Yes. That was the first one that I had listened to, and the first song that I really liked was I Want You. Seventy-six. That was the year that I came on board. As far as a long-lasting effect on me, honestly, that was really what made me find my talent as an artist. They're the band everybody draws. I drew pictures of them all the time. Everybody did. Everybody who was into the band, you could easily draw a kiss face. Yeah. Everybody drew those pictures. I drew them better. Right. These girls are at Kiss Alive down the road. They had the album, and I just was captivated by the pictures, the little notes that were inside. When I would draw pictures of Kiss, they, they thought they were really great, which made me want to draw more. Right, yeah. And then, of course, as you dig into Kiss, their album covers, and you can't help but draw them. Now, what character were you drawing most often? Ace. Yeah. Ace was my dude. Yeah, me too. I actually, I'm a huge Ace fan. I'm, I'm a massive Ace fan. Destroyer was out right about that time. You were saying that it's hard to find a complete solid Kiss album. Destroyer is that album. album that they made. The thing I love about Destroyer, besides an awesome cover, is that, you know, Bob Ezrin produced it. At that age, you don't really think much about who the producer is. Right. Some of the other albums I was really into at the time and getting into were Bob Ezrin productions, so it felt comfortable or familiar. I didn't know why. I didn't think of music on that level at the time. Mm. Bob Ezrin produced uh, Alice Cooper, and I was getting into Alice Cooper about that age. In fact, Alice Cooper was my gateway to Kiss. 
Alice Cooper was Kiss's gateway to Kiss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I want to do a whole podcast on Alice Cooper, but Alice Cooper was my direct jump from pop music into rock and metal, and Kiss was very shortly thereafter. Right. Because like they said, uh, you have Alice Cooper, and then you have Kiss, which is like four Alice Coopers. His successive albums after his 1976 album, um, Welcome to My Nightmare, got less and less metal. Something I, I would just not pay much attention to or care about. Right. Whereas the closer you start getting into puberty, mm-hmm. the Kiss songs are really hitting you. Rock, rock and roll, partying, and girls. Yeah. When we moved to Texas, I still hadn't bought a Kiss album. We would hang out, and they would have the Kiss albums, and we would be listening to them, you know, like, all the time. Right, yeah. We, did, we didn't live there very long, and then we moved to Colorado. And I got to Colorado, and it was sort of the same thing. A lot of people, you, you were kind of surprised they liked Kiss. I remember this, this one girl at my school. She just seemed like she'd be so way above mm-hmm. the intellect of listening to Kiss. Right. And she was telling me how she'd just gotten Love Gun and was disappointed because it didn't really sound like them, the singing in particular. And mm. I think she was thinking about like Christine 16. Right. Where Gene was doing less of the demon and trying to do more of the stud or whatever. I don't usually say things like this to girls. Sex but when I saw you coming out of school that day, that day I knew. I knew. I've got to have And the production is odd. First three albums had no production. Right. Obviously, Destroyer had a lot of production. They tried to go back a little bit with Rock and Roll Over. That's more of a straight rock album. And that's when they started self-referential, I'm the demon, so I'm going to write a song about a demon, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, Ace Fraley, I'm a spaceman, so i got to write a song about space or whatever. Yeah. And the album covers, these dudes and these costumes, and then all these beautiful women at their feet. They're not going to release the album because they have decided that the cover is sexist. Well, so what? What's wrong with being sexy? I mean, there's no... Well, yeah, and when Boss put out the record, I fucked like a beast. I mean, that was do away with the metaphors and just go right for it. Right, and, and the metaphors go all the way back. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the term rock and roll is a sexual metaphor that most people didn't realize. I did not realize that. Yeah, rock and roll. And a lot of those Chuck Berry songs, mm-hmm. uh, there's coded references to sex in there. Kiss kind of took it to this ridiculous level. It would, to me, it, KISS was sort of like worldwide wrestling mixed with rock, which is interesting that they eventually went there. That, that's actually a, a really apt comparison. I remember like all the stories like KISS was supposed to mean like knights in Satan's service or right. something equally stupid. I have a crazy aunt who is hyper-religious. She heard KISS were Satanists. She claimed that uh, she took my cousin's albums and burned them. And they burned for seven days and seven nights. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> Holy shit, that's stupid. Mom, don't understand. Oh, I understand. Records, magazines, comic books, that's one thing. Now you want to see the devil in the flesh. You want to reach out and touch pure evil. Then we're hit with four albums at one time. Oh, yeah, the, the solo records. Paul Stanley. 
What did you think when, like, when you first heard of that or saw that? What was your reaction? Well, it's it seemed like a good idea. To me, it was like Christmas times four. Yeah, it, it seemed like a good idea until you heard them. Well, the album covers looked awesome, right? You know, and they were uniform, and you had to buy all four of them. You just had to. If you were any kind of a fan, you had to. I can't possibly not buy these four albums. What, what are you talking about? Why won't you give me more money to buy all these albums? <laughs> And that's when I started like cutting grass to mm. buy albums. Yeah. Uh, I lived on an army base, and the houses are very close together, and they have small yards. So I would get up early on a Saturday morning and go door to door until I had enough money to buy albums. Five dollars a yard. And albums were about five bucks. So I would kind of look at it as like, all right, every, al- every yard I cut is another album. So I had to go you know, and make sure I got at least four that week. I gotta have these, you know. And you're looking, you're trying to get clues from the the covers and everything, and bought all four of them. I used to cut the grass, and then I would get on my bike, and I would ride to the farthest end of the army base. Mm-hmm. And there was a part uh, where the fence was lower; you could get over it. It was in the woods, mm-hmm. and so I would ride there with my bike. I would get to the fence. And I would leave my bike, I'd climb over the fence, and I'd go to a record store. It was probably still another couple of miles away or something. Mm-hmm. I would buy the records, come back, climb over the fence. <laughs> you know, it was an ordeal, and it was work. So on Saturdays, I did a lot of work to get my rock and roll. Yeah. And that's another reason why albums meant so much more to me then. You know, you'd buy an album, and it, you work went into that album. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, you couldn't just toss it or give it away. or You know, you had to listen to it multiple times to make sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was the same thing. I mean, because I had a paper out. Yeah. And it was paper out money. Right. right you know, right. and that's that's how I was buying records. And I, I think that's a lot of the reason that music is devalued now is because you can just get it. You could steal it off the Internet. Also, a lot of kids now have guys like us as fathers who have a lot of this music. Right. You know, but then you're on your own. Yeah. And so... You get all four solo albums, and of course, the first one I have to listen to is Ace. And it's awesome. Leave it to me, Star Child. I'll bend these beams with my mind. Ace's uh, solo album, great. I still consider that album a five-star classic. I just listened to it a couple of weeks ago, and it still holds up. It might be the best Kiss album of all, of everything. I'm not disagreeing. The next one you got to put on is, it's got to be Gene, right? Right. And you think, oh, it's going to be scary. And it's not. Well, it starts off kind of scary. And then it just, uh, just... I don't know how to describe it. For one thing, he has how many like guest appearances on that record? Well, wasn't that kind of the deal though with, with all of them? No, none of them had major guest artists on it except Gene. 
There were, you know, there were some people here and there, but not not like Gene. Gene was like a variety show. Like, I want to have a bizarre cast of characters in addition to the people that make sense. You know, he had uh, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. He had right. Joe Perry from Aerosmith. He wanted Paul and Linda McCartney to sing on it, which they wisely chose not to. Yeah. But he had Cher. Yeah, album. yeah, that's right. You know? Katie Seagal, who went on to be in Married with Children. You she's know, on that record? She's a singer. That that was her deal. Um, the acting and stuff, I think, was secondary to her singing career. But yeah, she sings all over that record. Oh, now I'm going to have to go back and listen to it again. Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I haven't listened to Gene's solo record in a long time. The only time I've played it is to show somebody how ridiculous it is. This podcast is making me listen to a lot of stuff that I've, I haven't listened to in a long time. Well, a lot of bad stuff, too. But yeah, a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of songs that were not in character at all, and they were very Beatle-ish. Not good, but you could definitely tell there's like a Beatle influence, and it, it didn't sound like anything at all like um, what Kiss would do. Well, that, that was probably Gene just playing around with all of his influences. That's not Gene. Throwing stuff against the wall, it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, I, I don't get it at all. Now you get a guy doing When You Wish Upon a Star. This is where I have to make excuses for Gene. The fact that he came to this country with his mother, who is a Holocaust survivor, and he couldn't speak English. So he comes from Israel, and he comes to New York City. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, hamburgers, Superman, right. Mickey Mouse, and all these these pop culture things that he didn't have access to. He spent a lot of time alone, mm -hmm. and I appreciate that because I used to spend a lot of time alone as a kid. I used mm -hmm. to draw constantly, which he did as well. Right. And he was way into comic books, mm -hmm. which I was at the time. He came here under all those circumstances and is sort of the American dream. Oh, absolutely he is. He just took the things from America and combined them and made this billion dollar a brand. The next album you listen to is Paul Stanley's, and mm -hmm. I think Paul Stanley's album is a very solid album. See, now I have to go listen to that again because that's another one. Like Gene's album, I haven't listened to Paul Stanley's solo record in many years. Paul's album, to me, probably does sound most like a Kiss album. Okay. And that was really the first time that people started paying attention to the fact that he could actually sing. Oh, he, he's got a great voice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But people didn't really think of him as a singer. He's got a, a very wide range, too. Yes. Paul could sing his ass off. Peter's album. This is New York. Yo.
That is a record that I only listened to one time. Some of those songs sound like they could have been Bread or mm. Pablo Cruz or, you know, one yeah, of those yeah. kinds of bands. You know, he has the one kind of cool rocker. I think the, the cover of uh, Tossing and Turning is pretty cool. Then the rest of it's ballads and he's Peter Chris. He had, at that point, had the biggest single Kiss ever put out in Beth. Right. So what would you expect him to do? Well, I got a whole solo. I'm going to need to make like seven more Beths to go on this album. You know, they used to say um, shipped platinum, meaning there was such a demand that the stores bought so many albums ready to sell that before the doors opened, the album had technically gone platinum. Right. Well, with Kiss solo albums, it was said that they returned platinum. <laughs> so many albums got brought back. The Peter Chris one is interesting to me because he uh, works with uh, Sean Delaney, and Sean was a member of the KISS organization who is not very well known by most people, but he helped them put it together. He was the one who came up with, we need to have more theatrics and talk Gene into learning how to breathe fire. Right. You know, he was the one who had them synchronize certain moves on stage. Mm-hmm. He was the one who, who would film their rehearsals and then go back and, you know, show them this looked really cool, this did not. Right. You know, he really helped with the pacing and the image a lot. And then oddly, he ended up in the studio with Peter Chris for a lot of that albums, and some of those songs are songs that he wrote. Oh. Peter had Vinnie Poncia uh, producing the record. And Vinnie Poncia was a guy who, he had produced like Ringo Starr solo albums and stuff. And mm-hmm. I believe artists like Carly Simon. Right, okay. And that makes sense for Peter Chris. When the band reconvened to go back and do their new album, Dynasty, right. Peter Chris insisted that they bring him along as the producer. Peter insisted they get Vinnie Poncia to come in. Everybody agreed, and then they put out Dynasty. <sighs> What did you think when Dynasty came out? Like, what, like, were you honestly uptight about it? Dynasty came out in what, seventy-eight or nine? Seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. At that point, I was really, really into Kiss, and every Kiss record I could get, I was, I was getting. So I had all the earlier stuff. And when I bought Dynasty, I was like, awesome, another Kiss record. Right. I put this this piece of disco trash on, <laughs> and, and it was, it was just a terrible record. Dynasty and Unmasked are just terrible records. Well, when Dynasty came out, I was in the middle of Kiss Mania, mentally. I mean, right. I was there for the albums. Each album would come out, and they came out pretty regularly. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like years apart. Right. It might have been a year, but there was stuff going on. So I'm buying records the whole time. And then Dynasty comes out, and as a kid, pretty cool cover. Right. And then, yeah, you put on, because the single hadn't broken, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I was probably out before then, but I hadn't heard it. I didn't know. And so you get home and you put on I Was Made For Loving You. It's a pretty damn catchy song. It's not Kiss. No, it's not Kiss at all. But no. it, it, but it, is, it is a catchy disco song. Absolutely. 
was never really one of the discus sucks guys. Right. But you'd have things like Funky Town. I was getting more in the metal. So when that album came out, I own this album. I can't say it sucks. I paid money for it. What am I going to do with this album? I can't kind of like. I have to like. Well, that might have been one of the first times in my life where I actually bought with my money, my paper out money, yeah. and hated it. See, I didn't hate it. I gotta admit, I didn't I, hate yeah. it. It was confusing. But the other thing that was part of that was that that was also when they were coming on tour, and that was my first Kiss concert. Right. Was the Dynasty tour? Yeah. First concert. Was first kiss. concert was Kiss. Yeah. And of course, you know, it was mind blowing and everything. One funny story is that I'm there, and my dad is on the farthest end of us. Which my four friends kind of in between us mm-hmm. and I'm at the farthest end from him and I'm next to these uh, you know, teenagers. One of them likes a joint hands it to me, right? I'd never even seen or smelled pot. Mm. <laughs> I said to the guy, no man, I, I can't. I only have one lung. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy goes, oh man, I'm sorry. And he like snuffs it out right in his hand and he starts telling all the people, don't be smoking, man. This kid only has one lung. <laughs> It was an awesome show. So I was a little more prone to give him a slide for that. Then, unmasked. KISS continue their amazing theater of sound with Unmasked, their latest album, including Shandy. And their latest single, Talk To Me. KISS, the rock and roll phenomenon with Unmasked, a magic album from Polygram Records. Yeah. The solo albums kind of set Dynasty up, but nothing could set you up for Unmasked. Unmasked was terrible. The first time I'd ever heard anybody talk about somebody selling out. Oh my god, they sold out on this record. What a joke this record was, and I'm just sitting there going, but it's a KISS record, and I have all these stickers and patches and posters on my wall. (laughs) They they can't make a shitty record. (laughs) I got too much invested. The posters disappeared off my walls, and I'm telling you, my walls were wallpapered with KISS. Yeah, mine were too. I'd be cutting pictures out of, like, Hit Parader or Circus Magazine or Kerrang! or something like that, and I had stopped my allegiance with KISS. and didn't think about them for a long time after that. Mm-hmm. In that time period, where were you? Like, you you obviously at some point abandoned KISS. I did, and it was, um, I had bought Dynasty and hated it. Right. I bought Unmasked, I hated it. Yeah. Music from the Elder, I hated it. Okay, and then that was around the time that my brother brought home Metallica. Right. And, and then it's and, like a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, then, then my entire world changed and there was no room for KISS in it. I didn't even know anything about The Elder. I hadn't seen it. I knew nothing about it. We had moved to Charlottesville and went to um, this fair or something, and and one of the record stations were selling boxes full of vinyl, and they are really cheap. Right. I grabbed one, and it had pretty good stuff in it. The King Crimson album, Beat. I can't remember a couple others. The Elder was in there. The cover's weird. You know, I have been a Kiss fan, so, you know, of course you're going to listen to it. You paid $5 for this. Yeah, why not? Box albums, you're going to listen to all of them. That record. What in the hell? Who steers the ship through the stormy sea? If hope is lost and so we. It's like a regression they went through. 
starting with Dynasty. And they actually didn't make a comeback from that. I mean, because it was like one bad record after another. Right. And actually, probably starting with the solo records. Right. And, um, oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's where they, they kind of, I guess you say, jumped the shark. Bob Ezrin had produced that album. By now, I'm into Pink Floyd, and Bob Ezrin had produced The Wall. I knew now Bob Ezrin's name, Alice Cooper, yada yada. So I thought, maybe this will be a good album. starts with an orchestra and you know and Paul Stanley singing this bizarre falsetto love to be a fly on the wall when they were writing that record Lou Reed co-wrote at least one song on that album. I did not know that. You're going to make me go back and listen to that shitty record. <laughs> My body's going to reject this. <laughs> but thanks, buddy. I just got back from the doctor. They said I have cancer in my ears. Yeah. There's a whole cult around that record. It's so interesting to me how these decisions get made. Right. The album, I mean, it's just a trip. I remember seeing on Solid Gold. It was just so bizarre. It, 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 I had a friend named Pat. He was still hanging on. Yeah. So I, I believe I gave that album to Pat. But Pat and I would talk about Kiss. And, and I just remember Pat coming back from seeing Kiss and getting all this ridicule from people mm -hmm. at school. But I was kind of interested just because, you know, right. for nostalgia, if nothing else. And the thing that was wild with Pat was he had this t-shirt on and it had Vinnie Vincent on it instead of Ace. Vinnie Vincent and his makeup. Yes, with yeah. the onk. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet you that shirt's worth a lot of money now because I don't think I've seen one. Vinnie Vincent was only in the makeup for a very short time. Yes, very short. He comes and tells me what a great show it was, and I'm like, wow, now there's only two guys from Kiss left in the band. Right. And who's this Vinnie Vincent guy, you know? And I don't even remember hearing or listening to Creatures of the Night at all, except... Give Creatures of the Night another listen. Oh, no, I, I have since then. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's not a terrible album. They came back from, from that pit of dog shit that they fell into, from the solo records to the Elder. Right. Well, the problem was nobody cared. Yeah. You know, they had blown it. I still really like the song, I Still Love You, off of Creatures. Great song, yeah. It's really epic.
This is the Untitled Podcast. This is about the time they unmasked themselves on MTV. You know, they put Lick It Up out. You know, there they are without their makeup. Exclusively here on MTV this evening, we are going to see Kiss without their makeup for the very first time. Vinnie Vincent, lead guitarist and co-writer of many of the songs on the current Kiss album. Eric Carr, drummer, has been with the band since 1979. Paul Stanley, rhythm guitarist and lead vocalist. Paul is a co-founder of the group. Gene Simmons, bass, also co-founder of Kiss. He is the fire-breathing, blood-spitting monster of Kiss. It was wild, the fact that they kept it on the down low for so many years. What do you think of Lick It Up? Lick It Up to me is a companion piece almost to Creatures of the Night. I don't think it's that dramatically different. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. It's it's moving more towards the pop 80s hair metal sound. That's exactly it. And Creatures of the Night wasn't. It, right. it, it was still... Um, kind of heavy. It, it, was, it was a heavier, yeah. kind of a Kiss record. Lick It Up was a little softer. Yeah. And then Animalize was a little softer. Oh, yeah, and that, Asylum was very soft. It seemed like it just couldn't get any worse with each successive album. Yeah. The stupidity level. It was really bad. In that era of Kiss, I completely checked out oh, yeah. with, with Asylum. That was the end. I wasn't even buying or paying attention to those records, you know, but MTV was coming on. Right. And you were seeing the videos, and it was just like, oh my gosh. And it just became such a joke among everybody. I'm in college, mm-hmm. and I'd, you know, gotten to that period where I really was just uninterested in the mainstream stuff. There was so much other great stuff that wasn't being played on the radio. Right, yeah. The replacements, the Let It Be album, they put out Black Diamond, and it's stripped down raw, and it's badass. <laughs> That's a good song. It's a killer song, and they do a killer version of it. The Melvins put out three solo albums, Mm -hmm. and they were painted exactly like the Kiss solo albums. Mm -hmm. And they might have even hired the same guy, I'm not sure. But they were done pretty faithful to that. Sonic Youth were up and coming then. I went to interview Sonic Youth for like our school newspaper, and Kim Gordon had a Peter Criss t-shirt on. Nice. was actually a pretty decent record. Go back and listen to it. There's some cool stuff on it. Right. Bob Ezrin, by the way, produced Revenge. So they have the song, uh, I Just Wanna Uh All Night. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I Just Wanna Fuh, I Just Wanna Forget You. Jeez, oh, who wrote this? Uh, yeah, I know. I And 
And there was an album that came out somewhere in there, Smashes, Trashes, and Hits. Yeah, I had that. Actually, had I was part of the Columbia House Record Club. The odd thing on there is Eric Carr singing Beth. Yeah. Which is like, man, why did you guys make him do that? You know he didn't want to do that. No, he didn't want to do that, and that was around the time that he got sick. Right. And he, he maybe had... it was because of that song. <laughs> God gave rock and roll to you. That video died pretty soon after that. Yeah, yeah. By all accounts, he was a nice guy. You know, he just got caught up in the machine. Eric Carr, yeah, because he was the drummer all through all that bad 80s stuff. Right. Kind of a shame that the the last decent Kiss record was Revenge. Right. Yeah, so at least he got to play on that. I think I hear them calling. talk about all oh, there's so many women any idiot can get a, a woman when they're on tour this is a lot more important and a lot more heartfelt than the bragging about the other stuff cut this off for a second would you stop cutting me down in front of a camera i don't go for that shit i don't know all of a sudden like whatever i say all of a sudden don't listen to this idiot don't go do on. that anymore go on what happened just prior to psycho circus mm-hmm. was the band went into the studio with the producer from alice in chains Okay. And made a grunge album, Carnival of Souls. Oh, that's right. I don't even know if I've listened to that. I kind of like it. Yeah? See, I love grunge music anyway. Oh, me too. And and I love Alice in Chains. It was purely a cynical move. So okay. Carnival of Souls is recorded in 95, and in typical Kiss fashion, they want to chase a trend. had been chasing after Bon Jovi through most of the 80s. Yeah, that, uh, that pretty much sums up all those 80s records. Yeah, well, they even used the same producer, the Bruce Fairbairn, who, uh, I don't like his albums at all. <laughs> you know, I know he's dead and everything, but I hate Bon Jovi. That was actually the first concert I ever went to. See, we talked about that once, and I, yeah. I wanted to, I, I tried to find, because I think we were recording when you were telling me about that. Yeah. And I wanted to have that piece to kind of hold against you later. go in the studio they get toby right they basically tell him we want to sound like smashing pumpkins my understanding is he tried to gently persuade them but also didn't want to lose the gig so they spent a lot of time on the record they scrapped it and instead started working on the reunion stuff their whole attitude towards the record was this is the redheaded stepchild we have bigger fish to fry yeah 
I truly don't think it ever got really finished. More Kiss fans hate that record than they did The Elder. Now I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to listen to it. There's something in your eyes I can see And my face keeps looking back at me Just one more question before we wrap up. I would like to think that the personality you've presented on our show today is a persona that you've affected, but that mm -hmm. you're not nearly as obnoxious in the privacy of your own home or when you're having dinner with friends. Fair enough. And I'd like to think that the boring lady who's talking to me now is a lot sexier and more interesting than the one who's doing NPR. Well, we'll leave it at that. 96 rolls around, and they're putting the makeup back on. Right. I have to go to this. See, I missed that. Really? It was like seeing Kiss in the day. So I had a little, like, sort of resurgence of interest in Kiss. Dylan was a baby then. I'd play her Kiss records and stuff. And mm. Then the album comes out. Psycho Circus. Psycho Circus. What'd you think of that? First song is great. The rest of it is just garbage. Right. But it was like, okay, Ace is back, so we gotta have a song about being a spaceman. Peter, of course, has to do a ballad. You know, I've found out since then that almost none of them actually play on the record at all. You know, I don't think Peter, Chris, picked up a drumstick for the whole record. That, that's that's amazing. Yeah. It's like you get back together and now you're gonna do it. Was there anything else we missed? Um, the Wicked Lester stuff. How did you come across the Wicked Lester? Well, I found Wicked Lester before the internet. Really? And that was the the story of US One uh, Flea Market. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but... Yeah. I mean, it was it, it was the coolest flea market in the world. And, and when it shut down, I, I just about cried. Because, I mean, you could go there and find the coolest bootlegs. And they had a cassette tape of Wicked Lester. Did you know what you were looking at? I did. I'd heard about Wicked Lester, and I saw uh, the tracks on there. I saw She and a, a couple others, and I listened to this thing, and I didn't like it. It's an interesting artifact. It is. It's an interesting artifact. It's not very good. It's cool to see what they were trying to do before Kiss. Right. That band was never going to make it. I do hand it to, to uh, Gene and Paul. They knew what they wanted, <laughs> right? and they just had to find the right people to do it. You know, I think I'd read an interview where Gene says, tall guy, there's a short guy, there's a fat guy, there's a guy with a mustache, there's a guy with a skinhead. We had no unity as a band at all. They were, at the time, they were looking at bands like the Ramones, they were looking at the New York Dolls. Right. You know, they were seeing some consistency in how people looked. Mm -hmm. And that was an important thing. And they even asked Ace and Peter when they did their initial interviews, are you tall? Do you have facial hair? You know? Right. When I was in a band called F Word, we really tried to run that more like an organization than any band I'd been in. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Clay and I had kind of this vision of what we wanted the band to be. You know, we dressed a certain way, we looked a certain way, we tried to give off this vibe all the time. Right. And everybody hated us for it. They, you know, <laughs> hated, they hated us. They were like, oh, these assholes. <laughs> and so we had a drummer who auditioned, mm -hmm. and we're like, this guy's great, but that mustache has got to go. We can't, we can't have facial hair in this band. <laughs> He said, guys, I really like your music. I've seen you. I know what you're trying to do. I think I can do this. I, I feel very comfortable that I get where you're trying to go with this. Can I have the gig? I want to be in the band. Right. And we're like, yeah. Will you shave off your mustache? And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he did. He did. Yes. Okay. 
so what you're saying is, is you're surprised to find somebody who is as much of a geek as you. I really thought you were much cooler than you are. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they are all about excess. I think KISS is the best and the worst of what America is. Yeah, I could see that. This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck.